You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. Today on You've Been Hanked, we talk about some of the delightful perils of young love, the beautiful benefits of diverse community, and answer the question, how can you know if a group or organization really is good or not? There's a way. And if you'll stick with me to the end, we'll discover it together. Thanks for being here. I'm Hank. I remember riding home on the school bus. It was bus two, incidentally. Long day at school. Not a bad day. Mostly, but a long day. As we headed out, I was sitting in the seat on the passenger side against the window. My head leaned on the glass. We pulled away from the school. There was a little yellow building on the very edge of the school property. It had an odd emblem on it, sort of triangles with a letter G in between them. I didn't understand then what that was, only that every day, When I came to school in the morning, it was the last building that I saw before we got into the school. And when I went home every day, it was the first building that I saw after we left the school grounds. Every day, yellow, tiny, dilapidated, beautifully maintained, but always there, always present. It was an enduring part of my daily existence. Twice a day, every day, I saw this little building. I reflected back on the day, and I continued to feel the sting of embarrassment and I had a crush on a girl at school that's nothing new I cycled through a lot of crushes on a lot of girls at school and this one in particular was one that haunted me off and on for years and years and years she's just the prettiest thing and funny intelligent talented I was about 10 we were about 10 although thinking back on it she was probably closer to 11 because I was One of the two very youngest children in school, in our class, that is to say, and in our class. Frankly, I might have benefited from going to school a year later, but I guess that's neither here nor there. She really was lovely, inside and out. But I don't think she was ever terribly interested in me, except as somebody to laugh with and cut up. We were sitting in our class. I think it was a reading class, but I'm not sure. I remember the placement in our class. I remember that she sat right behind me and I used to hurry to finish through my reading assignments and was pretty good in that class versus some of the others. Math was never my strong suit or anything related to it, but reading I did okay in. And when I would finish, I would turn and check if she was finished. And if she was, then we would giggle and cut up and try not to get caught or in trouble. One day, and I don't know how the topic came up, we started talking about church and what religion she was and what religion I am. And when she asked me, what church do you go to? I told her that I was a a Mormon. (laughs) Y'all, if I had a nickel for every time that I've told a pretty girl who's not a Latter-day Saint that I am a Latter-day Saint, only to have things go sideways, sometimes comically, sometimes uh, semi-horrifically, 
my goodness, I'd have a big old jar full of nickels. And what what would I do with those nickels? I don't know. I saw her look very concerned. And she looked down at her desk and she put her hands together on her desk. Anyway, she had that look. And I think, I think that look, which I have over the years seen a, a number of times, more often, frankly, than I might prefer if I if I'm candid was the first time that I remember seeing that look was it the first time I ever saw it I don't know but it's the first time that I remember seeing it and she <laughs> she just she had this look that spoke volumes and I said what's wrong and she said are you are you really a Mormon and I said yeah I really am why she said oh I'm so sorry. I said, I'm not sorry. Why are you sorry? And she said, well, because you're going to hell. <laughs> it's funny now, but I'm going to tell you, when I was 10, it wasn't funny. It, it wasn't funny. And I, I said, "I'm what? She said, you're going to hell. I said, why am I going to hell? Because um, Mormons worship the devil. And I thought for a minute, and I and I tried to remember, do we? I don't think we do. Let me think. Um, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the devil is bad. No, we don't. We don't worship the devil. She said, yeah, you do. And I said, I, no, we, we really don't. We really don't. She said, I know that's what they tell you, but they're lying to you. And you're going to hell. <laughs> oh y'all I'm laughing um, not at her concern not at and she wasn't there was no meanness in her this beautiful girl and she was just in my 10 year old mind she was one of the prettiest girls I'd ever seen in my life and I knew her to be kind and thoughtful and intelligent and she was repeating what she had heard from somebody that she believed and trusted. But it just, oh, it stung at the time, y'all. It stung so terribly, such a such a bitter barb. And I tried for a couple of minutes more to convince her that, no, in fact, I I wasn't going to hell and, and it was going to be okay. And, and about the time that I almost thought I'd found the right words to say, our teacher... Miss Hensley, I, I don't remember who our teacher was, realized that I was over there jibber-jabbering with a pretty girl, and I don't think that I've ever had a teacher who had any tolerance for my jibber-jabbering with a pretty girl, and as soon as she realized that was going on, she shut that down right quick. <sighs> Unfortunately, I don't believe that the opportunity to continue that conversation made itself available that day, and I sat on the bus and we passed that little yellow building there on the edge of the school property and we began that two hour 52 mile bus ride home and as we as we rode I had a buddy both of us lived at the more or less end of the bus ride he he was at I think maybe the very very end and I was uh, two or three kids away from the very very end and we'd often sat together especially in our much younger days, we'd sat together. We were both Star Wars fans and played soccer together and 
baseball and things like that. Liked each other pretty well. Still do, as it goes. I haven't actually seen him in a very long time, but we keep up with each other on Facebook, and it gives me a lot of pleasure and joy to see him and his beautiful family and uh, occasionally interact with him there. And I looked over at him and I said, do you think I'm going to hell? <laughs> and he made it pretty clear to me that that wasn't a big concern of his. And, and I was oddly comforted by that. I, I don't know what I expected from him, but if I remember correctly, at least in those days, and, and maybe still his spiritual inclinations tended towards Buddhism. And he wasn't too concerned about whether or not I was going to hell and, and wasn't terribly concerned about whether or not I was a Latter-day Saint or a, one of the other denominations that just didn't interest him in any way. And I found his I, I found his lack of concern about my eternal salvation or the imminent and horrific lack thereof just wonderfully comforting because then we could just play. We could just talk about Luke Skywalker and Boba Fett. He was a big Boba Fett fan, and I was all about Luke and the Force, and we had so much fun just sitting in those brown, uh, plastic-covered, uncomfortable seat, beltless seats that we would ride 52 miles one way, 104 miles round trip each day. Nary a seat belt on that bus. Kids crammed in three deep in them seats. Sometimes not quite enough seats for all the kids until some of them had got off. Not No, no seat belts. No air conditioning either, as it happens. Uh, barely any heat, but certainly no air conditioning. We, you know, from late April, it'd start getting pretty warm. And by May, we, it was regularly in the 90s. And of course, you'd get up in the well above the hundreds in uh, July and August and early September. No, no air conditioning. And sometimes they'd let us roll the windows down. And sometimes they'd tell us to put the windows back up, depending on how we were behaving. And of course, in those days, even the bus driver had a paddle. And boy, you'd act out and they'd just pull right over and call you up to the front of the bus and grab you by the belt loop and wear your backside out, send you tearfully back to your seat and uh, comment on how much better you'd behaved when you got off the bus or, or not. And, and boy, if you couldn't, then there was going to be a conversation with your mom or daddy. And I was apparently going to hell, according to this lovely, lovely young, young girl who I'd almost given anything to hear any other words come out of her mouth that, that were even remotely positive. I, I didn't want to sit in front of her. I wanted to sit next to her and I don't know that I'd had the courage to hold her hand uh, right away. You know, maybe maybe after a few weeks, I was a shy boy at 10, certainly. But I think I might have enjoyed sitting with her when the lights were turned off and we was watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We didn't have many movies to choose from, but that, that was one that we watched pretty often. When I got home, I, uh, I found Mama and... I, I had a, a no-nonsense mom. A lot of you folks, uh, most of you folks probably didn't have the kind of mama that I had. She, don't get me wrong, she's she's wonderful, but she, she was a different sort of mom, gunfighter. I think I told y'all that she told me when I was a kid, hey, son, you're going to want to stay out of my purse because there's scorpions and razor blades in the bottom. It, it'd be a real shame if you got stung and cut up and and let me tell you something, I wouldn't go near that. Even if she told me, hey, go get me something out of my purse, I'd look at her like she had lost her mind. And I, I didn't care what threats of violence issued forth from her mouth. I was not sticking my hand or my unshielded eyes anywhere near that purse, which I knew 
since my early childhood to be infested with scorpions and razor blades. I didn't care. I'd take a whooping. I'd take all kinds of whoopings. I was not sticking my hand in that. She, she sort of did herself a little bit of a disservice, I think, from her perspective in hindsight, because I can remember in my later, still youthful, but later years, her telling me, hey, go over there and get me. And I wasn't going to do it. I, I just didn't care. I wasn't going to do it. And, and there being real frustration on her part. But, you know, on the flip side, I wasn't snooping around in her purse and, and finding all her uh, wonderful secrets that just never even entered my mind as being something I was going to do. In fact, I can remember being, I think, like 16 years old and her saying, hey, can you get something out of my purse? And even at 16, no, no, I'm not. No, no. <laughs> and it wasn't until some years later, I probably was, I was probably 20 years old. And I remember I was, I was sitting in the front room and it was the Christmas season in the rocking chair. One of the things that I always loved to do was after everybody else had gone to bed was to get up and go in there and sit in that rocking chair and have the, the Christmas lights. We had colored Christmas lights on a live cedar tree. It was always a cedar tree. It was always live. It was always colored lights and they would twinkle and chase each other and they were real, real pretty. And I would sit and all the lights would be, I might or might not have a candle lit and all the lights would be off except for the Christmas tree and I would rock and would think and pray and meditate. Sometimes I, maybe I just was in a foul humor and it was very helpful. It was, it was cathartic. And I have a lot of memories over the course of a lifetime of that very thing in different, in the settings of different front rooms and parlors and living areas. Beautiful. And on this particular occasion, I was sitting there rocking and thinking and Mama had earlier come. She was a paramedic in those days. Really, really very proud of her. When my dad died, he, I was 13, I believe. He was 32. He'd turned 32 two weeks earlier. It was abrupt and very sad. I'll talk more about that another time. But when he died, Mom didn't have any marketable skills. She was a stay-at-home mom, and he was a coal miner, and we were farmers. And so when he died, she really didn't have a good way to provide for us. And she'd go wait tables down at Chris's Cafe during the day. And at night, she went to EMT school, and she became an EMT. And then once she was an EMT, she went to work on an ambulance and continued going to school at night to become a paramedic. And she had been a paramedic for some time by then. And in fact, she was even the sergeant on her shift. And I was, I was really, really proud of her. And that's how we ate. She worked so hard to keep everybody sold up and healthy and get them to the hospital if they had to go. She had come in from a shift, and we'd said goodnight. She left a purse there on the carpet in the front room, and I sat looking at that purse. And now I'm 20. You know, it had only been 15 years since she told me about the scorpions and the razor blades. And I had an epiphany. It was the dawning of wisdom. Maybe, maybe Mama hadn't been entirely honest when she said that to me. Maybe that was a mechanism to keep me out of her purse when I was little. And, oh, my gosh. I bet there's no scorpions or razor blades in her purse at all. And then I thought, well, I, let me just look. And then I felt that familiar chill that ran down my spine when I thought about those scorpions and razor blades and thought, I think maybe it's enough that I, that I just believe that she probably had not been entirely honest. Maybe it's enough that I'm assuming that she had. Maybe I don't really need to know empirically that such is the case. I think it's enough that I just have figured it out more than likely. I'm 51 years old this year, y'all, and I'm going to tell you right now, I've never actually gone and tested this hypothesis. But I think she probably 
doesn't have scorpions and razor blades, at least scorpions. Now, look, I told you I got a different kind of mom and she might have razor blades in there. And I wouldn't put it past her in the least. And frankly, if you are ever thinking about being up to no good, oh, you probably shouldn't put it past her either, because I'm going to tell you something right now, just between you, me, the good Lord, and this box of spaghetti over here next to me, you go fooling around with mama, she'll probably cut you. And if you deserve it, well, sorry about your bad luck. Anyway, Christmas lights, beautiful. Scorpions and razor blades, scary. I found mama. This is 10-year-old me that we're talking about now. I found mama. And she could tell something was wrong. What's the matter, honey? Mama, am I going to hell? Well, you might, son, if you don't live your life right. <laughs> and that that's real helpful, you know, and, and something that I was accustomed to, you know, the truth and consequences. But, well, mom, one of my friends told me today that I was going to hell because we're Mormons. <laughs> Mama's eyes flashed. And I sort of wished maybe I that I hadn't mentioned it because it, it was that flash that told me that things could go one way or the other. I mean, I mean, this could just, this, this could just be one of those things where maybe we sit on the couch together and, and, and I get a little reassurance, or this could be one of those things that turns into somebody's house burning down. And I was hoping maybe for the former and, and a little less of the latter. Oh, mama, if you listening, Hey there, <laughs> I sure love you. You real important to me. I do you have scorpions and, Razor blades in your... No, no, never mind. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. That's that's private. That's between you and your purse. Anyway, Mama convinced me that we weren't going to hell just because we were Mormons. We might go to hell because, you know, this, that, or the other. But it wasn't going to be because we were Mormons. And I felt much better. And that's what that's what you need from your mom, right? Irrespective of what kind of mom you got. Whether she's a, a cookies and milk in her purse kind of mom or a scorpion and razor blades in her purse kind of mom. Doesn't matter. what kind of, Whatever mom you got, whatever kind of mom you got... When you're 10 and you come home and the prettiest girl in the class told you that you're going to hell because you're a Mormon and you need some reassurance from your mom, you get that reassurance and you feel better, right? Well, I did. And, and I felt better. I got that reassurance and I felt better and I was grateful for it. Went back to school the next day, reassured that my eternal salvation was once again more or less assured as long as I lived my life right according to mom. Again, mom, if you're listening, appreciate that. Seriously. Got to school, waited through the day patiently. Got to reading class. There's the pretty girl who, despite her prognostication regarding my immortal soul, was still just as as just as pretty as a picture. My goodness, she was she was just lovely to my ten year old eyes. And I said, I asked my mom if we're going to hell, and she said we're not. She said, Yeah. I asked my mom because I wanted to make sure if y'all were going to hell, and she said you definitely are. <laughs> And I said, well, but why? She said, well, because you're Mormons and you worship the devil. I said, but we really don't worship the devil. I said, you know, the that's the short version of just what people call us. We're not even really the Mormons. We're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she looked at me funny. And she said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I said, it's got Jesus in the name of the church. She said, yeah, I don't think it matters. And I said, well, my dad's a Baptist. Oh, he'll be fine. Really? Yeah, he'll be fine. He's a Baptist. He'll go to heaven. He'll be fine. She said, why is he a Baptist and you're a Mormon? I said, well, I don't know. That's just the way things worked out. She said, you know, you should probably get saved and start going to church with your dad. And that way, when your mom's in hell and, you know, all the rest of your family's in hell, you and your dad can be in heaven. (laughs) 
and what's what is prompting some of this recent spate of laughter is is I suspect that there may be one or two of you who in your secret heart of hearts are thinking, well, you know, she's right. <laughs> and that's okay because you have your you have your view of, of salvation and I have mine and and those two don't have to mesh for me to love you and be your friend and, and I hope that you feel the same way. I'm I'm happy for you to be convinced in your heart of hearts that I'm going to hell and, and me be convinced in my heart of hearts that you're no doubt kindly intended, but incorrect. And, and we could just go on and, and, and eat chicken together. And, and if we're all Masons, green beans, because, you know, if you have meals at a Masonic Lodge, there's going to be some green beans, whether you have chicken or not, there are going to be some green beans. So we can have some chicken and possibly some green beans, depending on which segment of my community is having those thoughts. And we, we could be just fine. My son is 10 and I see, I see a lot of me in that boy. He's, he is a good boy. He is a better boy than I ever was. I was a, I was a good boy, but my son, he's really something. And that's not because of me. That's because of his mama. He's got a a wonderful mama. I've never witnessed or seen anything like the kind of mother that she is outside of the motherhood that she practices with our children. It is inspiring. And my kids have benefited greatly because of the love of my bride for them. With all of my children, I have encouraged them, never argue religion. And I don't. I don't argue religion. If you want to discuss the gospel, I'm happy to do that. If you want to talk about belief structures, yours and mine, and I'm happy to do that too. But when that veers into tension, well, that I'm not going to do. I think that contention is I think that that our common adversary is the father of contention, and I'm I'm not going to be a part of that. One thing that I will say, and I feel really good about, is that as a Latter-day Saint and as a Master Mason, I have all too often, and, and too often really is correct, too often been told that, well, you're in a cult, and it doesn't matter if they're talking about my fraternity or my faith. I've heard it from both standpoints. Well, that that's a cult. That's a, that is a wicked organization. That is this, that is that. And I can't help but remember the admonishment in the scriptures. By their fruits, ye shall know them. And I take a lot of comfort in that. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints produces an extraordinary harvest of good fruit. Freemasonry produces an extraordinary harvest of good fruit. And when I look around in my community, at my neighbors of all different beliefs and congregations and and organizational structures. I see men and women who belong to churches that produce wonderful, diverse, good fruits. And I don't really need to determine for you whether or not you are going to go to hell or not. That's not my place. I'm not your judge. And thankfully, you're not mine because... (laughs) <laughs> I've been told too many times that I'm going to hell. And so I'm really glad that, that y'all aren't my judge either. I know who my judge is. And I, I feel pretty good about Judgment Day, irrespective of what anybody else's opinion is. Now, am I boasting? Am I somehow saying, look at me because I'm... No, no, that's not what this is at all. I am asserting that I know who my judge is and that I am preparing myself accordingly for that time. And maybe between now and then... If I have listened to my good mama again, hey, mama, love you. I know that if I'm making the right decisions, irrespective of anything else, that that final interview will probably go more or less well. And I bet yours will, too. One of the things that 
I love about being an East Texan is that I come from a community of people who believe strongly in the value of hard work. And let me tell you that uh, I, I've taken that with me. We, My family works hard. They believe in not only hard work, but faith, hope, and charity. And I'm really, really grateful to have come from that background. Even when they thought I was going to hell, by far, the, the great number of them, there are a few exceptions. And we may even talk about some of those in the coming weeks and months, not today. Great majority of my sweet East Texas friends and family and neighbors, they never ostracized me. They never kept me at arm's length for the most part. Instead, they loved me. Now, a lot of them really wanted to save me, and I don't hold that against them because, frankly, I know that that came from a place of love. They were concerned for me. And to all of y'all who tried to sneak me into a a, a revival, and don't act like you don't know who you are, (laughs) thank you. I haven't forgotten, and not only am I not offended, I just love y'all. I just love y'all. And I think about the good works that occurs in masonry. There's so much. You know what masons are? They're builders, and they're building a better world. And they're doing it by making themselves better men and helping each other grow and and become. And I think about my faith community where we know who we are, where we are, and where we've come from, where we're going. And like Mama said, I'm doing my best to make good decisions so that I can get there. By their fruits, ye shall know them. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. When you're thinking about your neighbors, when you're thinking about your neighbors and you're evaluating them, in your private mind, in your secret heart, you might just consider that well, maybe their worldview doesn't entirely align with my own. Maybe their view of eternity isn't quite the same as mine, but are they producing good fruits? Because if they are, then they're from a good tree. It can't be otherwise. I hope that y'all know that I love and appreciate you. I love being part of a pluralistic community. I don't think that I could live in Utah. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Utah. I don't think I could live there. I think one-size-fits-all mentality that that I have experienced when I've been there. And and please, all my Utah friends and family and neighbors, don't don't be offended by this. This isn't intended to offend anybody. It's just not for me. I'm a Texas Mormon. I'm, I'm not a Utah Mormon. I like being a part of a community where my neighbors across the street are Cambodians and bring their their faith and understanding with them from Cambodia. I like that my neighbors right behind me are Israeli Jewish and that they're Orthodox in their faith. I like that there's a Hebrew school within throwing distance of my relatively weak throwing arm and that on Saturdays I see my Jewish neighbors walking back and forth to school. I like living within 10 minutes of a beautiful temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints And that within just a couple blocks from me, there's a beautiful Methodist church where my son incidentally went to preschool and it was so good for him. And I love that there's a a wonderful Lutheran church and a Korean church and a beautiful Catholic church and school just up the hill. And those aren't all. Those are just the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. There's so many more. We live in a community that is richly diverse in skin color and faith and creed and understanding and national origin. One of the most diverse parts of the country, perhaps the world, anywhere. And we see that on my street, in my neighborhood, and we see that in my lodge and in our Grand Lodge. We see 
that wonderful, beautiful diversity of background and faith and hope and understanding. And I hear it in the voices of my friends and neighbors and brothers. And I love it. Not everybody does. That's fine. I really, really do. It makes the conversation so much more interesting. And frankly, it makes the potlucks more interesting. I I just can't tell you all the wonderful foods that I occasionally get to enjoy. And somebody said, well, yes, this is uh, a dish that's uh, popular in my homeland. And my wife made it or I made it. Or, Brother Hank, I wanted you to be able to try it. And, oh, my gosh, the most wonderful food in my lodge. We have men from all over the country and the world. Texans and Californians and South Africans and Eastern Indians. We have Muslims, Hindus, and Mormons, and Baptists, and Catholics, and people who uh, in general believe, but don't necessarily have anything more specific than that. And I just, I just love it. I love being surrounded by that diversity of faith and understanding. And it's one of the things that I love about the part of the world that I live in. And it's one of the things that I love about masonry. We are able to prove Beyond any doubt, we are able to prove that sectarian violence born of religious disagreement has no place in the world because every, every single lodge is filled like mine is, at least in this area, is filled like mine is with brothers whose understanding of the eternal are radically different. And yet we all put our shoulders side by side to the same efforts and push together in laughter and brotherly love and affection and accomplish endless good. Hospitals for children where no money need be need be a concern. Blood donations to benefit those who will never know. Food drives for those who will never see. And it doesn't matter to us if they believe the way that we do or not. And it's wonderful because there's never any issue of looking at your brother out of the corner of your eye and thinking, well, he's going to hell. He's a Mormon or he's going to hell because he's a Muslim or he's going to hell because there's none of that. Or at least I've never personally encountered any of that coming up on a quarter century being a Mason. And it gives me such joy to see that. And in my Latter-day Saint community, I see members of the church who are who have turned their view where it was once uh, more inward facing. And, and frankly, I liked it better that way. I've just put this out there. I kind of miss that if I'm real honest. In many cases, turn their view outward uh, away from strongly supporting members of the church to really trying to be more supportive of members of the community who are who are not of our faith. And and on the one hand, I really do miss the, the way that we we used to do it, because the community that was created in support of the members was, in my opinion, richer and stronger. I also understand that 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 outward facing perspective is intended to help others recognize the good fruit that this tree produces. So I I get it. I don't always love it, but I do always get it and appreciate it, even if sometimes I have to remind myself that I appreciate it. She really was the prettiest little girl. And I wanted so desperately, like you do when you're a 10-year-old boy in love with a 10-year-old girl, I just wanted so desperately for her to not be convinced I was going to hell. (laughs) Hey, thanks, y'all. Much love, Hank. You've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.